So tonight we're going to continue our, um, our series in Colossians. And I'd like to start with a verse tonight, just uh, skip ahead, but I wanted to start with this and then we'll go back into the middle of Colossians chapter 1. With Colossians chapter 2, and I shared with you last week Paul's passion for the truth. One of my great, greatest passions, actually, might be my greatest is the truth of Jesus Christ. I love the Bible. I love this book. This book has transformed my life. And it has been the devotion, the daily reading of my life for 40 years. The Word of God is, besides God's Son and the Holy Spirit, the greatest gift that God has ever given to us. Many of you may have no idea that men like John Wycliffe gave their life that we might have this book. William Tyndall gave his life that we might have this book in English so that we could understand it. It was banned. It was only in a language most of us could never understand or read. And they went in hiding and tediously wrote it in the language that we could understand and grasp. And so the Apostle Paul is writing from prison. Now, I don't know what you'd do if you were in prison. The kind of prisons we have today, I realize they're difficult, but they're not like the ones Paul was in. There weren't TV privileges and outdoor privileges and three square meals a day and medical care when you needed it. You were whipped, you were beaten, you were thrown in the ground. It was on the cold dirt. Often he was cold, often he was naked, and the wounds on his back from his beatings would fester and the flies would collect. But the Apostle Paul had the church on his mind. He loved the church. The church is the bride of Christ. The church is the body of Jesus Christ. The church is God's children. The church are the people of God. It's not this building. This is just a facility. This is a facility where the body of Christ, the church, meets. You're the church. If you know Jesus Christ, you're a called out one. You're the church. And the Apostle Paul had never been to the city of Colossae. His co-worker Epaphras had brought the good news of Jesus Christ to Colossae. They were in prison actually uh, together for a time. But Paul and Timothy are writing this letter, so we can only assume that Timothy is probably in prison with Paul at the time. And this is one of the four letters he wrote from prison. Philippi, Philemon, Colossae, and um, Ephesians. And this verse at the end of Colossians chapter 1, you can just tell it's just Paul's passion, but it's also mine. It has been a guiding verse in my life. Him we proclaim, Christ we proclaim, while warning every person and instructing every individual in all wisdom so that we might present every person mature, grown up, fully developed in Christ. For this purpose, I toil, wrestling to the point of exhaustion, according to his energy, which so mightily works within me. This is, this is the ministry. This is what we do. This is my desire. You, you, you have no idea the longing that we have, that Paul had, to see you grow up in Jesus Christ, to see you accurately understand the word of God, the truth of God, the spiritual wisdom of God. This is one of the reasons why I've been so passionate about this website, that people could use it 
to go over just about every, not every topic, but just about every one is there. And I try, I'm not perfect, and I'm more than willing for anyone to correct something they may find that goes, Mark, I don't think that's sound. I don't think that's sound biblical truth. But my desire is to see you grow up in the truth and grow up in Jesus Christ so that you'd have God's spiritual wisdom. The Bible tells us, Moses said, man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. David said in Psalm 119, I treasure your word more than silver and gold. Job said, I treasure your words of your mouth more than my necessary food. This book is life. So now I'm going to go back to Colossians. I'm using, for those of you that wonder, I'm using the New Living Translation. I do so because the average American reads an eighth grade level. I don't know if you knew that. But that's the truth. So I, I read, I've been reading using this version since 1998 so that, uh, you know, ordinary individuals would have the best opportunity to understand as easily as possible what's written in the text. And I'm going to start from Colossians uh, chapter 1. I've got to get to my little bookmark here. It's kind of a balancing act. And I'm going to start with verse 7. We went through verse 1 through 6 last week. You can again go online. I also included other observations from chapter 1. But there was a couple things tonight that were laid on my heart I wanted to lay out to you. Epaphras, our much-loved co-worker, was the one who brought you the good news. There we see, Epaphras brought the good news to Colossae. Paul had not. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he's helping us in your place. He is the one who told us about the great love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. Now, I made the observation last week. I want to make it again to you so that this is clear to you. You'll find this in the book of 1 John. You find this in the book of Colossians. You'll find this actually woven throughout the New Testament. But the true test, the acid test of whether or not a person has been truly born again is they have a genuine God-given love for other Christians. They want to be around other Christians. They may be imperfect, they may be flawed, but faith and love go hand in hand. And when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, that faith births the living God in our heart and the love of Christ in Romans chapter 8 has been shed abroad now in our heart and we love one another. I'll, I'll never forget, honestly, I'm, this is humbling to share. It's humiliating. It reveals the blackness of my own heart. But I'll never forget when I first gave my life to Jesus Christ. I was 19. And before I came to Christ, I was uh, extremely arrogant. I was extremely self-centered. I was extremely rebellious. And um, I was really, um, well, to be really honest, I was a loner. So much so, I mean, I went to movies myself. I didn't. And when I eventually hitchhiked and took off, I went myself. And people were a hassle to me. They were just a genuine hassle. But when I did hang around people, they had to be a certain kind of person. And if I did not deem them cool, I just did not hang around them. I'll never forget, I gave my life to Christ one night. Um, 
in a, after, after two, three, actually three weeks of God just bearing down on my life with tremendous conviction about my eternal doom and the, and the terrible decisions that I'd made in my life. And um, I got out of my car, I was, went into this woods, and I just got down beside a log. And for me, it was very emotional. You didn't have to be emotional to accept Christ. But for me, it was very emotional. I'd done a lot of, a lot of things I was not proud of. And I gave my life to Christ, and I got up, and um, that very next week, I went to my first Jesus Bible study. And I walked in the room, and, and in the room, one of the first people I met was a young woman who eventually I, I helped her move into a house and with a misshapen, deformed head that I would have never been seen with in my life. And I sat down right next to her, and we began a conversation. And I'll never forget the friendship, the genuine friendship. And, and I was like an out-of-body experience. I was watching this guy have genuine feelings of brotherly love for people in, in this room that, you know, one week earlier I would have not been caught dead with. And I can say to you in all humility, I have spent the last 40 years of my life in love with the bride of Christ. I've given the best I have on my strength, two-thirds of my life, to the church. I love the church. And it's all because of Jesus and because of me. It isn't because of me. It's because of the gospel. Did you know in the book of Colossians, Christ is mentioned 41 times. In a little four-chapter letter, 41 times Christ. Christ is central. Christ changes lives. Christ is the power. Holy Spirit, he might have been mentioned a couple times. You can count them. Christ is the focal point of all history. And he will be for all eternity. All eternity. So we go on. So we have continued praying for you. Ever since we heard about you, we ask God to give you complete understanding of what he wants to do in your lives. And we ask him to make you wise with spiritual wisdom. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and you will continually do good, kind things for others. All the while, you will learn to know God better and better. I want to make a few comments about this. I was so struck by the Apostle Paul. You know, when I read my Bible, I learn too, by the way. You know, my, I'm, I'm just like you. My desire is to model my life after the Apostle Paul, after what God lays out, what God reveals in his word. This is one of the reasons for my prayer life. And I earnestly pray every day for many of you by name and your needs, and then in general for the church and for you moms and dads as you're raising these little children. I pray for you. And I ask God to give you complete understanding and insight of what he wants to do in your lives. I, you know, I've done now, it's, others have done millions more than I have, thousands more, but I've done 181 conferences. Why? Why would I add them to my plate to travel and go? You know, it's not, it's not, I don't want to be famous. I want to help Christians understand what God wants to do in your life. 
I want you to have keen understanding and insight and spiritual wisdom as to what God wants to do in your life. I want you, I, I know, please bear with me when I put it this way, I want you to know what I know. I want you to be able to experience what has been my joy over the last 40 years of my life. And of course, it has increased as I've grown myself in my own understanding and depth of wisdom in my relationship with God. And as I continue growing, I'm still growing. God's not done with me yet. I haven't arrived, but I certainly understand more than I did 40 years ago. And I ask him to make you wise with spiritual wisdom. Why? Because then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. And I just want to comment on that a moment. Have you ever thought about, Lord, what, what do you want from my life? What I want to honor and please the Lord. The way that I live my life, the way, I, I'm just using a very practical example. When I was a young man, um, you know, I started having children. And most of you here know my passion for the family. My passion to help you with uh, your, your children. My passion to help them come to know Lord, the Lord. One of the reasons I have the passion, I want you to know this, all honesty, is because, and I, I, read, the, I read the books. I, I can't even tell you the number of books I've read. Well over 100. That may not seem like a lot. But almost all the books on my bookshelf, they're read. They're not like, oh, I just collect them, I read them. And I've read the data. I've read the research. We have more research available to us now about the true state of American Christianity than ever in the history of the world. And it's tragic. The data is tragic. And most young people that grow up in Christian homes eventually and go to church eventually walk away from the Lord when they're about 18. Because of the hypocrisy in the home. So I used to ask myself, especially this, Lord, help me live in my home. Because that's the hardest place in the world. In a way that honors and pleases the Lord. And so I made a little saying for myself. I went over it every day. Mark, your life mission is to make Christ attractive to the world. By making Christ attractive to to your children. And I would always ask myself, do my children want my God? Do my children want my God? Well, right, would I have to share with anybody else? If my own children wouldn't want the God they see their daddy represent, did I make mistakes? Absolutely. I can't even tell you. I couldn't even count the times. With tears in my eyes, I had to acknowledge a wrong to my family members or a word that came from my mouth that should not have and ask them to forgive me. But this was my motivation. This is my motivation. Lord, I want to live in a way that honors and pleases you. Then I love this passage. Then, then... <laughs> You will continually do good, kind things for others. In that, that's, that's, I love that. I love that phrase. I love that phrase. This is the expression of our Christianity, the expression of our God. God is good. He's generous. He's giving all the time. Today, God gave to the whole world. He reigns on the just and the unjust. He gave them rain. He gave them sun. He gave them oxygen. 
That's his generosity. But for all of us, in some way or another, God gave to us today. He gave us help, or he gave us strength, or he gave us hope, or he blessed us with something. He gave us a job. He gave us a family. He put a roof over our head. And one of the great, great testaments of Christianity is just the good that we go do for others in our life. I, I was so touched. I hope Doug doesn't mind if I share this, but I'm going to share it anyway. We were just having dinner the other night, and we were sitting around the table, and we're, they were just sharing about life, and they were, they were telling the story of a 90-year-old, 92-year-old dear friend of theirs who, who just went to be with the Lord. This really struck me, Doug and Don, really touched my heart. For the last seven to eight years, every single Sunday, Doug and Donna have taken her out to lunch. She lost her husband about 10 years ago. She missed him terribly. And every Sunday, do you know how many times that is? 52 times a year? Times seven? Well, that's about 360 times. Paying for someone to go to lunch, and they'd read a passage from the one-year Bible with that dear lady. Good, kind things for others. No matter how old we get, Doug's 83 years old. You can still do good. You can still do good. That's the beautiful thing about Jesus. No matter how young we are, how old we are, we can do good for someone. Kindness. Kindness matters. Kindness matters. Just the simplest things that we can do for our brother or sister in Christ. And then it says this, and all the while, you will learn to know God better and better. Did you know one of the ways you get to know God in a very practical way is imitate him? Did you know that? <laughs> the Bible says a good understanding have all those who do your law. When we obey, when we step out and we follow the Lord in what he does and we copy him, we begin to grasp him better and better. And at the same time, of course, we want to grow to know him more and more. And then I want to end with this. We also pray that you be strengthened with his glorious power so you will have all the patience and endurance you need for all the troubles you face. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to God's holy people who live in the light. I know many of you today, I know this, I know this. You're having trials. And you're going through some tough stuff. Some of you here are going through some really difficult stuff. And some of you, it's been for years. It's hard. And some days you just think to yourself, Lord, how can I make it? And I want you to know, I too have gone through difficult things. And I too have had many of them last for many years. I understand what that's like. This passage has been so meaningful for me because we have this supernatural outside of ourselves source of power and strength that Paul is saying, I want you to know how to tap into what I know so that you will have unlimited patience and joy as you persevere. The strength to persevere. I think of a silly illustration, but it works. My, my, tonight was a, tonight I, 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 tonight my daughter and my son-in-law, my little girl, Charlie, left. They moved out. 
My daughter Jessica has been with us because of her health now 31 years. And tonight as we were driving here, they were loading up the last things from the basement and moving to their first home. And little Charlie's leaving me today. <laughs> and I'll go home tonight and I won't hear her little squeals and get to give her a, a hug. And I was, I was thinking, the other day Mark was over mowing the lawn with the lawnmower. This is his first time, you know, to have his own lawnmower. And he didn't have all the instructions, and it's a self-propelled mower. It means it's a power mower, and if you push the right lever, the wheels turn and you just follow it. He didn't remember that. And because the people had been out of the house about two months, the grass was about this long. And if you've ever seen my son-in-law, he's got bowling balls for arms. The guy's... You know, he was a gymnast for the U of M, and the Iron Cross was his favorite move. <laughs> if you want to look up Mark Whitmer online, you'll see his parkour video. It will blow your mind. Mark Whitmer, Google it. It'll blow your mind. It's online. <laughs> he entered that ninja warrior Japanese thing in Japan. He was invited. So he told me that, and he goes, yeah, Mark, I was over. I'm pushing this stuff so long, and I got halfway through, and I realized, oh, there's a lever that makes the wheels go by themselves. That's what it's like with Jesus. That's what it's like with Christ. You're kind of grinding it out. You know, you're like, okay, I got to get through this day with these kids. I got to, oh, how are we going to get through this? And then it dawns on you, wait a minute, wait a minute, not a body experience. Lord, you're here. And I am just going to, in faith, trust you right now. I said, let this go. Help me, Lord. I'm telling you, there, there were times when Jesse was so ill and I would sit in the back of the auditorium at Jefferson, and the band was getting done, and tears came down my face, and I'm like, wow, God, I just left my daughter in bed. She's screaming in pain. I can't stop it. I'm here. I love these saints. I have a job to do. And I would grab my leg thinking, Lord, I can't, I can't even walk down this aisle. And I would grab my leg and pull it up, and I'd go, but you're here, and you're in me, and you promised to give me the strength. And every single time, he gave me the strength. Every time. Every time. You have all of God living in you. In Christ, all the fullness of God dwells in bodily form. And the Bible tells us in Colossians that the hope of glory is Christ in you. He lives in you. What would happen if we believed that? Remember that song we sing? What if I believed? What if I believed? Christ in me. He's in us. That doesn't mean problems just magically disappear. That doesn't mean there won't be tears down your face. One of my favorite verses in the entire Bible, and I just sent it to someone in this room yesterday, was he collects all of our tears in a bottle and keeps a record of all our sorrows. You know, you mean that much to God? That he has a little bottle and he puts it under your face and he collects those tears and sorrows, writes them down. He will reward you for them. He will give you strength, strength and ability out of his glorious unlimited wealth of power. Paul is praying that we would tap into that. Let's pray. Next week, we'll do some more Colossians. We'll also have our team back. They'll be sharing and we'll have some baptisms Lord willing. Father, thank you tonight. Thank you tonight, Lord. I owe you everything in my life. There's not one thing that I don't owe you. You've been so kind to me. You've been so gentle with me, Lord. You've been tender with all of us.
And you've been lovingly firm when you needed to be firm. And I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful, Lord, that you saved my life. I'm so grateful that you changed our lives. I'm so grateful, Christ, for you. Thank you, Father, for your indescribable gift. In Jesus' name, amen.